to a special TRK podcast. This one previewing the rugby championship and particularly uh, Australia versus South Africa, which is being played in Pretoria in uh, Loftus Versfeld tomorrow, um, which is the 8th of July. Um, look, it is going to be a really, really interesting game. Um, this game is going to be played, by the way, at around 5 past 3. Um, there's a lot of interest about it. You look at the, I suppose, the, the rugby championship is always a huge tournament. But not only that, the addition and I suppose the selection of, of Jean Klein and RG Snayman makes it very, very interesting from a Munster fan perspective. So, and not only that, I think, and this is something I was speaking about on Patreon during the week, um, covering this game and covering this tournament from the South African perspective I think will be good prep for me as we build towards the World Cup and that pivotal game, basically, I think, to avoid France in um, the 2023 World Cup. That is going to be something that is going to be of huge importance. And to know my stuff for that game, I think the best thing that I can do is to know South Africa. So with that in mind, I've been looking at South Africa's games over the last year or so. And I've got a particular interest in this upcoming tournament because I think it'll show us a lot about where South Africa are relative to Ireland, certain weak spots that they may have and that we might have to them. And plus, the added bonus of, of covering a guy like Jean Klein uh, and an RG, who I, I think, you know, you look at what, you know, massive roles they played for Munster last season. I think that is, I think... An interesting side sidebar to what is already a very very interesting World Cup year. Now, this rugby championship would seem to be the most open one in years. Um, Australia have the look of dark horses about them. Mainly, I think that's because of the Eddie Jones effect. I think you look at what we've seen from Australia over the last number of years. We've seen good. We've seen bad. I mean, I think you, I go back to um, late last year. I think that Australia side with a little bit more discipline could have easily beaten Ireland in the Aviva. Well, not easily, but they could have come out on the other side of that game with a lot more, um, you know, with 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 a win. And, and certainly they played well enough at points to, you know, trouble the number one team in the world, which is Ireland at the moment. So I think there's lots there for Australia and for Eddie Jones to build on. Um, but again, I think... Most people don't really look too far beyond South Africa and New Zealand for the rugby championship. Certainly at the moment, that may change going forward. And I know Argentina have done really well as of late. But I think with uh, New Zealand in somewhat of a transition period, uh, I think that what we've seen from them in the last number of years, and certainly last year when, when Ireland were touring down there around this time, actually, that this is not the all-black side that you know, won two World Cups in a row in the, you know, 2010s. That's not this team. Um, They're still a good team. They're still a dangerous team. But I think that there are fundamentals in their game at the moment that won't stack up well to Ireland, to France, um, and maybe even to the Springboks. But that's going to be shown fairly quickly because the games are going to come thick and fast in this tournament as we build towards that World Cup there is a rugby championship to be won as well at the same time so that's going to be um yeah really interesting over the next couple of weeks to see how these 
I mean, all top contenders for the World Cup play out in this super condensed uh, four-way tournament. So I think looking at the, the opening fixtures, I'll have a look at the New Zealand and Argentina game in a review podcast um, coming out on Monday or Tuesday. But I think looking at this game to preview, um, it just seems very tight. Now, at the same time, you look at the Springboks where they've spent the last three or four weeks in Pretoria on the high veld um, getting acclimatised to the conditions that are there Australia have never won I think at Pretoria or certainly not in the recent past um, it is played at 5,000 feet above sea level something ridiculous like that they have a sign on the way out that says altitude it matters and the Springboks I think are about the worst team that you can look to play on the fucking hard ground of Pretoria with a full Loftus Versfeld um, at altitude it's a dangerous place to meet them and I think that they well, I think you look at the, 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 like the times that they've played there in the recent past they have been as unacclimatized to that as the opponents it hasn't been a massive advantage I expect it to be something of an advantage this time around but I suppose if we're going to look at the Springboks in particular here and I'll, I'll go through a little bit on the, the, the Wallabies as well I think we have to look at what the Springboks have been trying to do over the last number of years. Um, now, since they've won the World Cup in 2019, they've had a successful Lions tour. All happened during the pandemic. Um, it's been a difficult transition for them, I think, um, to you know to move away from the success of kick pressure, which I think is a fuel that corrodes your own engine as well, which means that you're only going to be able to use kick pressure the more you rely on it, if that makes sense. Um, It does dull certain aspects of their attacking game, and I think that they're trying to expand beyond that to a certain point. Um, I think I look at them last year, and in last year's rugby championship, for example, um, I think nobody... um, You look at their defenders beaten, 109, which is a good bit behind New Zealand, but they were second in the rugby championship. Um, they, when it comes to their carries, they carried less than everybody else uh, by by a fair bit. But I think that they're still in a transition from they're, they're not going to go too far away from what worked from them, you know, in the World Cup and in the build up to it, and certainly in game since as well. They're going to stick to the fundamentals of their game. But I look at their clean breaks last year, right in the twenty twenty two Rugby Championship, thirty two overall. They are creating opportunities. They are creating the line breaks, and they are creating the sort of platform that if they can get their act together from a backline perspective they can score tries and they can score tries any type of way that you want like the thing with the Springboks is is that they should always have a platform the quality the power the the, the I mean the individual excellence of their of their pack alone and their midfield is enough to give you a platform like it's incredibly rare and again, I think last week or, or last season, rather, um, you look at their their rugby championship stats last year with their with their lineout. It was below their own standards, I would say. Now, there's elements of of working out their game and bits and pieces like that, but and we're not talking about massive numbers here. But they were done around eighty five percent last year for their lineouts. One, no, again, there's there's some extenuating circumstances to that too, but that's below what you'd expect for the the Springboks when it comes to their ability to like retain their own ball at the set piece and I think that elements of the kicking game are going to be hugely important here as well 
But again, a lot of it in this game will depend on what are we going to see from Eddie Jones. And that's kind of the X factor, like I said here. I have no idea how the Wallabies are going to try and play this. Like, we have nothing to go on. This is their first game, I think, where we're going to get a good look at what he selected. Now, I'll just go quickly down through their team here and, and just give you an idea like the, of the roles we're talking about here. He's gone for a big physical three-lock pack. And again, when you look at, like, you know, Rob Valentini starting at number eight there as well. A big physical kind of, you know, power forward type player. You have Michael Hooper, kind of small forward, like a heavy poach, you know, kind of strike wing or heavy wing forward type player. Heavy poacher, like, and, and, and co-captain obviously as well. They won't lack for size, you know, and I think from a scrummaging perspective as well. Slipper, uh, Parecki and uh, Alan Alatoa are actually really, really good. Now, we did like, they're, they're missing Taniel Atupo. Again, a great player, but I think he's still recovering from injury. And you look at his scrummaging can be a bit hit or miss. Um, but look, I, I think they will not lack for size. We'll just go quickly through their back line. They've got Tom Wright at fullback. They've got uh, Suliasi Vunavalu and uh, Marika Korarbeti in their um, wing spots in midfield. Len Ikatao and Reese Hodge. Now you might be thinking, Reese Hodge, Reese Hodge, isn't he? A midfielder or isn't he a fullback isn't he a winger yeah he is he is all those but I think when I look at his game I've always seen a very competent kicker he's a guy who has um, a good long boot in him that to me suggests that we might be seeing counter transition from the from the Wallabies at least at some parts of this game the selection of of uh, Reese Hodge there at 12 is I think fairly telling in that regard they may look to go down that route I think they have the the the, the personnel for it um, and a halfback they have Quade Cooper and Nick White um, Quade Cooper comes in again he is uh, solidly in that veteran category now he's what 35 years of age <laughs> which is you know again age is only a number I think to a certain point if you're still performing if you're still you know doing your job and you're still able to to impact the game i think it doesn't really matter what age you are and i think when you look at um what eddie jones might like about quade cooper is that he understands the game he understands the system i feel that he will want from the wallabies which is they will need to be dangerous on transition uh quade cooper is incredibly dangerous and skilled on transition as well that again is another indicator that they may be looking to go towards a um counter transition style game with the skill set of Quay Cooper I'm not sure that they want to be loading him up for a lot of on ball action if that makes sense especially you look at you look at their like the chasing power of like you know uh, like Vunivalu he's again he's 6'4 he's a big man that's a power winger but you look at Corrado Betty he's the same another incredibly powerful guy I'm not sure if they want to have these guys, and well, maybe, maybe with with uh, uh, Vunivalu they'll go for the odd short contestable. But looking at it, and you know, looking at Tom right there as well with 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 uh, Michael Hooper, um, I think they've got the capacity there to play that sort of. We'll kick it, you know, long, maybe mid range, maybe slightly above. They'll chase hard up on the edges, look to get the South African kicking game back and then get into their own transition game I feel that they may have I feel that they feel that they might have an advantage in that area of the game but at the same time I'm not sure they'll go too far away from you know the the, the strengths that they have in their pack as well that's why I think that you know I'm not fully sold on counter transition as of yet 
you look at their their big three in their in their uh, we'll say their their three lock pack. Tom Hooper, um, young lad, he's six six, you know, one hundred and twenty two kg, big lad. Um, he is making his debut here. Um, he is again look exactly what you'd want for a kind of a heavy half lock, and that he's six six. Well, he's well, he's over one twenty. He's listed over one twenty, but he will give you basically another second row on the field. And then you look at that with Nick Frost, who is six foot nine. He's powerful. He's a really good uh, line operator, obviously at that height. Good wingspan. He's long. And then you look at Will Skelton, who is, you know, one of the premier forwards in world rugby. A guy who has shifted the balance of power in European rugby wherever he's gone be that Saracens be that La Rochelle um, he gives you that tight head lock power forward um, role set that is incredibly hard to duplicate and uh, it's incredibly hard to stop um, that will be a key part of the Wallabies game in both phase play and at the set piece where he is going to be a core part of their scrum a core part of their line out mall their line out mall defence um, he is going to be a significant obstacle for the Springboks to try to overcome. Um, he is that good a player. Um, so I think that if you're the South Africans, I think there's elements of what you might look at um, for looking to. Con- I mean, look, I don't think the South Africans, the Springboks in particular, are going to look at anything that any other team puts up to them as being a physical equalizer i'm not sure if there's any pack in the world that can stand up to the springboks like for like um it depends on what context the spring or the the wallabies want to play this game in but i think one key indicator is that big three there hooper skelton and frost are big physical players um and i think again if you are going to see a lot of kicking from the wallabies which again i think eddie jones has spoken about um they will be the big physical stoppers for them um, to try to look earn those turnovers earn those like slowing down the play from the South Africans earning that kickback and then attacking on transition with the talent that they have in their outside backs um, in the front row they have Alan Anadatoa Dave Parecki and James Slipper who's also a co-captain uh, there's going to be a good scrum battle here I, I think looking at Anadatoa he is not as explosive a player as Tupo but he is uh, a good, strong scrummager. I think he's a guy who won't take too many risks, and I don't think that, yeah, looking at that Springbok pack, that you can take too much risks. But um, yeah, I, I think he'll match up well enough with Stephen Kitchoff, who's going to be, again, a real nightmare for him in theory. But I think Al Alatoa has done really well over the last couple of years, scrummaging-wise. I don't see him being a massive washout here, but again, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, on the bench, they have Jordan uh, Uwalese, they have Matt Gibbon, they have Zane Nongor, uh, who's making his debut here as well. He is 6'2", he is 130kg. He's look scrummaging-wise, not sure about him really, to be honest, but he will give them a big physical presence around the, around the side of the rocks, and that's going to be you know a, a massive takeaway for them off the bench they want that power obviously and look, you look at Matt Gibbon as well um, he is capped by Australia already but he's another guy as well as a loose head prop he'd be you know quite big he's quite heavy um, for a loose head even um, but on the bench they have Richie Arnold who is I, I was looking at this and I couldn't really work it out he's 33 he's making his debut for the Wallabies in this I was full sure he was capped before maybe that was his brother but um, he's been on the road really uh, from 2016 on I think he had a kind of a relatively late 
um, you know, kind of uh, blooming, I suppose, as, as a pro player. But anybody who's watched Toulouse in the last number of years will know how good this guy is. Uh, and he gives them, again, massive size off the bench, which is, I think, something that's all the way through this Wallaby team where I think if you look at Eddie Jones' England over the last couple of seasons, he has been playing to mitigate the lack of power athletes that they have. That's not the case with the Wallabies. They have a lot of size and a lot of power, and they're bringing a lot of that here. Uh, they have Pete Samu on the bench as well. Gives them that other power forward type role set off the bench as well. They can play any number of ways here, I feel. Uh, but like, it's hard to work out how they're going to approach the game, really. They haven't had a whole lot of time together, relatively speaking. Um, Eddie Jones' systems are usually fairly well embedded in, but I suppose the question then is, how do you I suppose how do you build a whole lot of complexity with a relatively new group guys who are coming in from a lot of different places that would lead me to believe that there'll be a relatively simple approach from the from the Wallabies here some elements of what they did previously because there'll be an element of inbuilt cohesion there I think we should we, we will see similar enough stuff from them at the set piece with some of their strike plays and stuff like that but if they're looking to simplify, and we're talking about, you know, not talking about a massive on-ball game here, I'm not sure how much they'll be able to to have. I'm expecting a lot of kicking from them. I think my, the selection of Reese Hodge for me at 12 means that they want a guy relatively close to the center of the field who can give them a different kicking option. And that, to me, would suggest that they're going to play an element of counter-transition. We'd have to wait and see how it goes. But I, I think that seems logical. At least at the moment, and I think that's the the, the core part of this is, I, I think you you look at what we've seen from Eddie Jones teams in the past is that they tend to have a trick up their sleeves, but I think if Eddie Jones is is kind of when he's talking about coming into this rugby championship and into the World Cup this year, it's incredibly short notice. I think he understands that you can win a tournament, be the rugby championship here or the rugby World Cup with a relatively limited game plan that you will start limited, add bits and pieces to it, or get rid of the bits that don't work as you're going through and look to try peak later on in the year. That's certainly doable. And I think that's, you know, we, we may see a little bit of jankiness from the Wallabies here, but I think if they're playing well and they start well, they'll mainly be kicking the ball. And I think that they're built to do it. And I think they want to bait transitions out of this South Africa side and try to play around what, it's going to be an incredibly physical you know battle up front you know worth the money that you will be paying if you were going to the stadium I feel just to see some of the collisions that are going to be out there their back line is finished off on the bench with Tate McDermott Samu Karevi and Carter Gordon so look they've, they, they've got replacements they've got like for like guys who can step in I, I don't see a split game plan from them here I think we're going to see more or less the same approach all the way through the game they don't have a massive change up on there as well I see you know, the likes of Pete Samu coming on more or less for Rob Valentini. You know, Richie Arnold will probably replace Skelton depending on how his fitness is going. And um, I think they'll just play on from that. And I think that I would not be shocked here to see a lot of that kick transition and looking to try and bait that out of the, of the, of the South Africans to give them the possession that they want. I think they want to isolate again a, a big heavy South African pack not on phase play because the collisions are going to be fucking outstanding here they want to try and catch them on the second or third kick or maybe the, the fourth or fifth kick if needs be I think they will go that way 
they will look at the power they will look at the quality of that South African pack and go look scrum could be could go either way line up mall is going to be a real that's going to be a real tester but the one area of, of, of difference I think they feel that they could have would be the kicking game and I th- when I see Reese Hodge there that just gives me a sort of a that gives me an inkling that they're going to go down that route they want somebody who's got a long boot that they want somebody who can pin the spring box into the backfield and look to try and you know, attack them on that transition um, and I think that they have the quality in their pack in their midfield to cover the ground that they need to cover at the same time if they were going to go down that route I think that they, they've kind of hedged their bets a small bit with the three lock pack as well because again with, with, with uh, Tom Hooper elements of an unknown quantity here I haven't seen a whole lot of him but you just look at the size of him how mobile can he be there but again you look at Peter Steph de Toy, how mobile how physical he is or certainly was at his peak and that's going to be a key part of this game from the from a you know from a Springbok perspective is what do you expect to get from Eddie Jones Australia in their first serious game so I think that's going to be the key part of it is monitoring that and how the Springboks react to it is going to be really important. Going through the Springbok side, in the back three, they have Willie LaRue, they have Kanan Moody and uh, Kurt Lee Arensa. Um, there's fireworks there. There is power there. I mean, you look at Kanan Moody, 6'3", not the biggest or heaviest guy going, but like as in elements of a power winger style build with him as well. Kurt Lee Arensa is lightning. He is greased lightning. He's a guy who, if you get that ball to him in space, and this is the danger of counter-transition as well, where I think Arensa fills the same sort of role as a Cheslin Colby did at his peak. Arensa is a guy that you cannot give too much in the way of a run-up on. Um, he is vulnerable in the air to a certain extent. Look, he is a shorter a shorter player. He doesn't match up well from a stature perspective with the likes of Coro Rebetti or from, certainly for... Um, for uh, Vunivalu's perspective but if South- or if the Wallabies are kicking long into the backfield um, currently Arensa is a guy who can hurt them and I think his selection there is something that will because I think everybody if you look at the size of the Springboks pack whoever they bring to the World Cup I think there will be a lot of teams who will be thinking look we can kick long to these guys we will match them we will get up in their faces we will make them play from deep they don't have very advanced um, phase play structures so we can get at them in that aspect of it they will kick to us we will win the kick we will advance forward we will use their kick pressure game against them but I think the selection of a Kirtley Arensa changes the complexion of that it makes it a far riskier game and it really adds jeopardy to your own kicking game also you cannot kick loosely to this guy because he will slice you open what he lacks in stature or he's not 100 kg he's not six foot four he is just so agile he is so um his acceleration is incredibly dangerous like he's a guy who will step you and then he's gone so you have no time to recover he's a great finisher um i think that eddie will maybe look to try and target him from a kind of a you'll see those mid-range you know crossfield bombs from the likes of uh quade cooper or reese hodge you know, high contestables looking to try and challenge him in that back pin. Um, that's going to be an area of concern for the Springboks. I, I, I think that the, the Wallabies will avoid kicking too much to uh, Arensa because, again, I think with the way that the Springboks defend, the wingers are typically quite high up 
uh, when they're looking to try and cut off any passes to the outside if you're Australian I think this is what Reese Hodge brings as well is that when you've got that second central kicking option if you can bait the likes of Kurt Lorenza out of the backfield you can expose Manny Libok you can expose Willie LaRue back there and, and these are these are very good players Willie LaRue in particular but you're, you're, you're mitigating with a bit of phase play you can mitigate the threat of kicking directly to Kurt Lorenza and I think that's something that we'll see from the, the Wallabies is that looking to try to use uh, Jacques Ninabar's um, over you know his overlapping cover his outside blitz um, against them uh, and I think that's going to be an area of a real interesting tactical breakdown is where how Australia choose to kick and what they can manipulate before they kick is going to be hugely important here. In midfield, we have a slight change from the typical South African midfield, which we have Lucanio Am and we have Andre Esterhazen. Now, uh, Lucanio Am has come back from injury this year. He hasn't looked at his best, to be honest. Um, flashes of it, you see, of, of the Lucanio Am, who I think for me on his day is like you know, the best midfielder outside centre in the world, we'll say, um, certainly defensively. Um, but offensively has a really, really great skill set there as well. Um, really smart player, intelligent coverage, good kicking in general, uh, knows when to make the pass, knows when not to. Look, a guy who gets the game really, really intimately and at his best is a core part of the South African team. I don't think he's been at his best this season. Like I said, he's had a fair few injuries that have been, you know, that, that have rolled around and I think that have really stalled his momentum. But I think that they can certainly, um, you know, they don't need to rely too much on him in this game, really. Defensively, I think that he'll be important in managing that outside blitz, giving them a little bit more cover that way. And I think, you know, covering for, for Andre uh, Esterhazen, who is an incredibly interesting player. He's 6'4", he's you know well over 110 kg. He will win collisions. Um, but he's not just a Bosch guy. Like he's a guy who's got a good pass in him. He's got a good kicking game. He's more than just what he would seem on the tin. And I think that's going to be the inter- interesting part in this too is how um, the South African team use him, how spring, how the Springboks are able to use Andre Esterhazen as a change-up option, you know, with Damien Dilende, who is still an outstanding world-class talent. Uh, Esterhazen has been a hugely effective player for Harlequins. I think we've seen that directly uh, when I've covered Harlequins when they've been playing Munster. He is dangerous. He is capable of getting an offload away in close quarters after dominating a, a, a you know a collision. There's going to be a decent matchup for that midfield, especially Esther Hazen against the likes of Reese Hodging and like likes of Lenny Catow. But um, the South Africans have to use that. They have to get that. Um, they have to get him into a position where he can be that guy, and um, that's going to be the key part. I'll get to the, the halfbacks later on in the pack back three or the back row rather Dwayne Vermeulen who captains the side from number eight Peter Steff to Toy and Marco Van Staden so they have gone for that a similar enough build to the, the Wallabies in some regards Dwayne Vermeulen isn't necessarily doesn't have the same pop that he had you know he is I'd say technically just by role description he's a power forward although he says more of a heavy combo flanker at this stage not a massive ball carrier in the way that we would typically have understood he's absolutely capable of running a fellow over but I think looking at his build he just covers a lot of ground now he's a line out option really good mauler on both sides of the ball great defender um, I wouldn't expect to see him you know showing up on ball a whole load I think they may use their second rows for that um, but I think Vermeulen there just gives him a cool head 
easy choice to come in and captain and uh, yeah there's there's lots there to like about that back um, that back row but again you look at Peter Steph toy a guy who hasn't fallen off the radar but he's, he's, he's had a few injuries obviously but you look at his his game since the 2019 World Cup where he was I think he was World Player of the Year that year hasn't really had the same impact um, and again look that, that happens he's had a few injuries but I don't think this is a guy with a whole load of miles on the clock either so he's far from finished it'd be interesting to see how he gets on in this game too because he's coming in this is kind of the, the, the most high intensity rugby he will have had since last year I will say so can't afford to come in cold especially with the physicality the pack he's up against Marco Van Staden is a guy who's kind of bounced around clubs the last couple of while, you know, the, la- the last couple of uh, years he was with Leicester he's back with the Bulls now again um, he went from the Bulls to Leicester back to the Bulls but you look at his you know his small forward credentials good carrier great breakdown guy good defender um, he'll match up quite well with Michael Hooper I think there's an element of not player versus player here because it's rare enough that you see that but they're going to be filling very very fam- you know similar roles to each other so it's going to be interesting to see um, how many times they actually interact with each other it's going to be important I think if they're interacting with each other a lot this will be a very close game um, but yeah we're into their front five which is always a massive strength for um the Springboks team any Springbok team their front five is typically where the real firepower is and they've got Marvin Ori who's had a decent season with the Stormers partnered with John Clain who you may know from <laughs> Monster Rugby <laughs> where he has been for the last seven or eight years uh, got selected and called up to the Springboks delighted for him really on a personal level that he got that honour to be called up I think what Razzie you know the way he put it in the press conference of a couple of weeks ago where he said they actually voted against the eligibility switch that you know was voted in which basically allows somebody to if you haven't been selected for a team or for a test side in three years and you have a ancestral um, or other you know strong connection to a country you can make a switch to that country if you haven't been you know played for three years you can only make that switch once I think the assumption was that it would only be you know the likes of Malachi Fekatoa going to play with Tonga you know that it would help the you know the the Pacific Island team specifically but there can't just be one rule for one team and not for the other so as Razzie said they looked at well we, we, we voted against this but it's in now so how can we how can we benefit there were certain players that would be on their radar um, should they come back available guys like Jean Klein were amongst them um, he was playing at a high level club he was playing really well over that time as well he was obviously on the outs at Ireland level for whatever reason um, so when he became eligible which was not very long ago they made that uh, decision to go to World Rugby to get his eligibility switched they got permission for it and here he is starting in this Rugby Championship game now your opinion on project players whatever it is it's valid I'm not going to get into you with it on it. I think that if you're happy for project players to exist and if you're happy that, you know, James Lowe or Jared Payne or CJ Stander or whoever were able to play with Ireland and and do really well for them, I think the other side of the coin is, is that if those players are not being selected and their, 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 their home country, will say, comes calling, 
I think it's fair enough that there's a vehicle there for them to make the switch back. And again, it's not that they can jump back and forth between the two. And look, it, it, it may complicate things from once or down the line with regards to re-signing Jean Klein. But for me, I, I, I think that it's fair enough, the, 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 the change. And I think that in this instance, it's fairly high profile. I think probably the most high profile switch that there will be, unless, you know, Tawera Carabarlo you know makes a switch to Australia should he be selected I think that that was being spoken about but I think with Jean Klain I think that he was out of the Irish reckoning so solidly I mean not even in a training camp for the last four years I think there can be no complaints really and I think I know some people like where you're speaking about the concept of eligibility switching some people don't like it and that's that like that that, that is completely fair but I think when it comes to it, like in a situation like this, when his home country came calling, he represented Ireland and did so proudly at the time. I can't say that he, if he was listening, to, and then obviously he was listening to the media coverage at the time, you can get the feeling that the whole country is against you. Um, and I think that's part of the problem when it comes to the coverage around project players at, at the time, because I've spoken to the majority of the fellas who were affected by this. It feels like the rugby bubble in this country, especially when you've got a lot of the, you know, the likes of the Irish Independent, the likes of the Irish Times, the likes of, you know, off the ball on news talk, the likes of RT radio, radio, and, and then you're talking about podcasts, articles, social media. It can feel like the, the, the rugby ecosystem in this country is almost reacting to you and trying to eat you and try to force you out of the country that's what it can feel like when you are the main character of you know the Irish rugby you know media bubble and that's certainly the way that John Klain felt deactivated his Twitter was spoken about incredibly unfairly by a ton of people was made something of a scapegoat to a certain extent for for Ireland playing so poorly both in the media by fans but also it would seem from a selection perspective because he was never selected for Ireland again not even for a camp he was Irish eligible for the, all the last couple of years when Ireland had been crying out for a bit of power in the second row for me to allow a guy like James Ryan to play his natural game but he never got the call so South Africa understand the value of a guy like Jean Klain so when he became available again and they knew they needed a guy who gave them something of Ibn Etzdebet's um, role set. That's exactly who you call. Call Jean Klain. He's been unfairly characterised over the last couple of years. And I think an element of this too is from a lot of Devon Toner's pals in the media who have a big sway with regards to how fellas are spoken about. He was always characterised as just being just a bit shit. Like, and... I can get, like you, you look at the specific examples the way that Monsters Front 5 has spoken about he was never given his due over the last we'll say four or five years like when it's come to the business end of the season Jean Klain has been playing with guys who are when you look at the size he's playing with in this team he's been the biggest guy in relatively small Monster Front 5s where he was soldiering alongside Billy Holland who look six foot three coming up on you know just about over 100 you know 105 kg at the time not a big powerful player by any means a lot of the physical duress of the team fell onto Jean Klain and I think we look at the best two seasons that he had for Munster where he was really outstanding as in where to the point where 
we're not just talking about the unseen work or the people the work that people choose not to see we're talking about you know everybody talking about how good this this guy is playing was his first season when he was playing alongside Dunnick Ryan and the season just gone where he was playing at the business end of the season with RG Snayman and that gives you the idea as to your tight head lock what they do and what they're supposed to do like this is a sort of player that allows other players to play their natural game one of the key parts of understanding roles and their importance is is that there are some complementary roles that they will only truly shine when they have the proper size and you know roles you know comp- like basically if you have a complementary role you've got to have something to complement do you know what I mean like if you're a guy like Jean Klain who's worked really hard in his carrying who's worked hard in his passing game but you don't want your tight head lock to be a fella spinning 10 or 11 passes a game you know you need him to be where doing what he's good at which is winning collisions winning you know collisions at the breakdown uh, scrummaging really high for you leading your maul both sides of the ball uh, and basically adding to your physicality around the field I think some people have it mixed up in that your second row should always be a guy who does a little bit of everything not every team builds their self around that there are some players who are in, a, in, in the second row and they can do it all and they do do it all they carry 10 15 times a game they have 10 or 15 tackles they're hitting a ton of breakdowns they're hitting a ton of line out involvements that's fine but there are other players that have different roles and when I look at John Klain that's the type of guy that I'm speaking about who has that different type of role not all second roles are the same they don't play the same they and, and not there, there's no one successful type of second role so when you look at Marvin Ori here for example um, he's a guy like he's got decent size he's 6'7 he's a, he's agile good line out guy Jean Klain we know what he will bring physicality weight he's a big heavy player he's listed you know he's he's like 125 kg I think at the moment he's 6'8 gives him a lot of ballast in the scrum a lot of ballast in the line out and in the mall he'll be hugely important in that area of the game but physically like in on the defensive side of the ball at the offensive breakdown he's going to be hugely important as well um, and yeah I, I really hope he does well and I think that mixing him with the likes of Vermeulen with uh, Steph Dutoy or you know, Peter Steph Dutoy uh, you know Ori another agile player as well um, it gives them a lot of options in the line out in particular so I can see Jean Klein doing very well there and in the front row they have Franz Malherba Bongi Monambi and Stephen Kitschoff who stepped in this week for um, Ox and Che they don't lose anything in the scrum with these guys anyway for sure Franz Malherba hasn't been massively dominant in the scrum this year you know I think that's you know elements of he's a you know obviously very well scouted at this, at this stage as well but he's going to be looking to put the likes of James Slipper under a lot of pressure um, I think James Slipper co-captain good scrummager as well that's going to be a massive battle on the day but you look at Bongi and Bonambi a fella very underrated as well um, where I, I actually I don't think he's that underrated really that's kind of a stupid thing to say he's a World Cup winner <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to go Bongi, Bongi and Bonambi he's shit nobody is but when you look at the likes of, we'll say, um, Malcolm Marks, guys like Dan Sheehan, these are guys who kind of have a bit of fireworks to their face play game that Bongi doesn't really have. But what he does have is immense physicality that, a bit like Jean Klein, shows up in complementary ways. He's a guy who I think improves any team that he's with. Uh, and I think that it's going to be really interesting, interesting to see how he goes here as well against the likes of Dave Parecki, who 
again that, that that's going to be a really good scrummaging contest as well between those two so interested to see how that goes on the bench for the spring box they have joseph dweba they have thomas de toy and vincent cock on the bench now de toy uh, is covering the loose head side of the scrum here as well he had some trouble in that area of the game the last time he played at loose head but thing is with him he's got the physicality where if he can just get any sort of a of, of a gap at all in the scrum he'll just drive straight through you and I think if he's stick, you know, stacking up with Zane Nongor later in the game I'm not sure if the technicalities of the scrum are going to be a massive issue for him as long as he can put him under pressure and I think he'll back himself to do that um, then I think he should be okay physically around the field all action gives you a ton of defensive out- output breakdown output on both sides of the ball very strong carry around the, around the, the edge of the rook good or good um mall guy as well uh, line out guy as well big physical lifter of the ball Joseph Dweba needs a big one um, I felt with him in the um, the URC final I felt that he got into his own head played like shit was flopping around the place did very little needs a big one for me um, uh, you know again his line out has been a weakness in his game to a certain point like I said in the URC final it's something that you've often taught and I've often taught his line out is bad but when you look at the Stormers they have the best line out or had the best line out in the tournament so again if he keeps it simple doesn't get into his own head there's a very good player there but I can see Bongi doing at least 60 minutes unless there's any unless there's injury issues um, less of the, bom- you know, the, of the, the, the bomb squad in that regard they'll switch out the others Kitchoff and Malherber fairly quickly but in Bonambi they might leave on a little bit longer especially if the game is tight because I just feel with Dueba that he's a guy who has a ton of errors in him when the pressure goes up to its highest and um, yeah that's something that you know they won't want to bring too much into their game here I feel um, Vincent Cock the you know tight head replacement on the bench outstanding really good scrummager physically you might say around the field he hasn't got the same pop that he had but look outstanding guy to bring off the bench there as well with Malherba he's I think a more of a dynamic scrummager than, than Malherba he gives you a little bit more of a technical battle and not that Franz Malherba is all weight either but I think Vincent Koch has that really aggressive technical side of the game that can put a guy like Matt Gibbon who will be likely matching up with under big pressure as well uh, and on the bench for the back five they've gone with a 6-2 split uh, they've gone with RG Snayman Evan Ruiz and Dion Fury um, Ruiz is again I think we've seen him for the Stormers big physical runner he can come off the bench and give you you know I think we, we may see him come in for Dwayne Remulin like there's a, a, a an opportunity for the Springboks if they need something Evan Ruiz has the physicality there that they can they, they can use um, Dion Fury small forward cover we've, saw, we've seen him in the URC final good tough fucking player good at the breakdown put his head anywhere um yeah offers you an awful lot on the bench then they have grant williams who is uh i'd say up there with curtly orensa when it comes to being absolute lightning and damian Willemsa, who's the fly half replacement on here as well but that's going to be the big issue the halfbacks that they've got at their starting 10 and 9 they've got kobus uh Reinach, who again i think another incredibly quick player great on transition as well he is back I think he's still playing with Montpellier actually but a really good player you might remember him having a break breakout season with Northampton uh, well I think it was three seasons he spent there where he seemed to score a try every week um, good player like scrum half fundamentals a little bit they can be up and down 
Um, and they've got Manny Libok starting at 10, who is a player who's got a ton of potential, in theory. <laughs> like, I've seen bits and pieces from Manny Libok this season where you're thinking, fuck, there's a serious player there. And then you see moments where he has brain fades, where he kicks a ball out in the full that he should really know he can't do. Or, again, if it's a case that he didn't know that or he made that mental error, it's a technical error. That seems to be in his game quite a bit. Now, again, a great runner of the ball on transition. Has great instincts on transition as well. Uh, He's a varied kicker of the ball. He's got good skills there. His goal kicking, I've seen be really good. I've seen be really poor. This is not a stage where you want to be your where you want your goal kicker to be flopping all over the place, and that's the thing with the Springbok side at the moment is with Andre Pollard injured, they don't have a massively reliable goal kicker at the moment. Um, I think I've seen Willie. Have I seen Willie Larue do it? I don't think so. But Manny Libok is a guy who who does goal kick for the Stormers. Like I said, he's been up and down. I haven't seen a whole load from him that would say, like that I can say coming in here that he's going to have a great game off the tee. I can't say that because he's been so up and down so far in his career. But I think what we will see from the Springboks here again is they will play a shortened kicking game. They would they will look they will exit long down the field as well. I think, but I can see them pulling their kicking game a little bit shorter, where they will look to engage Australia in the air if they can. Now. It, there's certain guys they don't have here. They've Pimpy, they've a bunch of other guys who are gone over to New Zealand in preparation for the game next week, where we assume these guys, if they're fit, will step in. But I think with here, the key is Willie LaRue. Um, again, with Manny Libok there, if he can just be used as a vehicle to get Willie LaRue into position where he can make the plays that open up and make this Springbok backline, create all the line breaks that they had last year, then it will be a successful day at the office for him. Damien Williams in the bench I think is a great player. I think I would prefer to see him more as a secondary creator. I think that's a really good role for him. A primary creator for me, I think he's just, I don't don't think his skill set and his game IQ is rounded out enough yet. But I think that, you know, if you have a guy who has, you know, some of the best game IQ in the game anywhere in Locanio Am, you've got guys here who can drive the likes of Manny Lebuk around the field he doesn't have to overplay this like he doesn't have to go overboard with regards to what he's expected to do here make simple plays make simple passes if you're given the tee make your kicks that's really all he has to do the altitude will help him getting linked on some of those kicks downfield as well I think the best thing for him would be to not overchase moments here because that's a really good uh, wallaby side there I would prefer to see him basically just facilitate Get dump it off to Esther Hazen. Let him make that collision. You know, give it to the likes of Lacanio Am. Hit Kane and Moody. Reset. Go short. Go to that pack. Play off nine. Have a hit a short pot a pot off ten. He doesn't need to overdo anything here. The attitude will do the rest. If he needs to kick and reset, you know, kick it high. Don't make mistakes. And the game will be there for them. But I think it depends on what Australia give them. If you see a lot of kicks downfield from Australia the key for the Springboks is to not get baited into bad transition play. That's what I think will be the key factor for them here. And that's where the, the, the decision-making of Manny Libok is going to be hugely important, to not allow himself to get baited as exactly what happened. And I won't say it's a deliberate thing, but he put himself into a position where he could get charged down. And as a result, the Stormers lost the game. I think here, 
if he can just make his natural instinct is to play the ball I think if he can choke that back for the majority of this game then he will look completely serviceable there won't be any questions or concerns over him and people will be thinking well look maybe he can do a job against the All Blacks maybe he can maybe he can't but at home here I just think he needs to make just play error free rugby and, and, and if that means you know not making a break or letting a gap go to waste it's okay reset hit the simple pass play it short and if the moment comes up for you where you can make a cross field kick where you can spot a gap that's obvious that's there you back your match up against you know the likes of Valatini or against the likes of Hooper or Skelton or whatever else make it but build yourself into the game if you can do that I think the Springboks should have a platform to win here I think the scrum is going to be hugely important I see the, the, the Springboks having an edge there I think more so than in the last couple of weeks or years I would say the scrum could be quite important in this one the mall as well is going to be hugely important who can get the most purchase on the opposition's line out you would imagine that the Springboks would have a better chance of getting a hold of the wallabies given the the disruption that they've got going on in their camp there as well but again if the wallabies are going to be playing a safety first kick first style game they'll play it very simple and they'll exit the vast majority of kicks that they have i'd say even around their own halfway line and look to try and play off the back of that as well so we'll see how it breaks down it's going to be huge interesting either way thank you very much for joining me thank you very much for being a tier case subscriber i will talk to you again very very soon